0: Hey y'all, welcome to the Careers They Didn't Tell You About podcast brought to you by Second Day. My name is Maria Mathine, and every other week I'm sitting down with people who are building careers working on our community's biggest challenges. And we're using this space to not only prove that it is possible to build a career that allows you to do good for the world and do well for yourself, but to also demystify how to make that happen for social impact job seekers everywhere. This week is a great one. I got a lot of personal hype from it. I don't know that much about sports, but there's a lot of sports metaphors. I found them incredibly helpful. And I'm excited for you all to to hear my conversation with Keenan Harrell, who is Currently the program manager of Community Impacted Octa, Okta, which is an identity and access management company based in San Francisco. He's responsible for driving Okta for Goods, which is Okta's social impact arm, community impact strategy, and leveraging Okta's resources to empower and strengthen the capacity of its global network of nonprofit partners. Keenan holds an MA in Philanthropic Studies from the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy and a BA in Exercise and Sports Science from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. He serves on the board of the Baltimore Area Sports Health Initiative, volunteers with Big Brother Big Sisters, and is a member of Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity. In his free time, he enjoys public speaking, meditating, reading, journaling, working out, and being outdoors. Well, Keenan, thank you so much for being here today. I'm really excited to, to chat today.
1: Yes, likewise, likewise, me too.
0: Awesome. Well, You know, for me, one of the best parts of my job is learning about jobs that I didn't know existed or I'd never really thought about before. And, you know, if you don't mind, we're going to kind of jump around your story a little bit, because like selfishly, one of the places that I wanted to start with is what I was really curious about, which is you spending six years with the Baltimore Ravens, representing the team and the institution doing community work in Baltimore. So I would love if you could share the story of how you got that job and what your experience was like when you were there.
1: Yes. Yes. So, so yeah, so as you know, I worked with the Baltimore Ravens for a little over six years or in the football world, we call it, we go by seasons. So six seasons with the Ravens and it was truly a dream come true. Obviously I could not have predicted that I would have ended up um, with such a phenomenal organization, but essentially in college, I knew that I wanted to do something. I knew that after college, I wanted to work in a career where I was giving back, where I was being in the community where I was doing social impact work. I didn't know the terminology of social impact work was. Came into college as a global studies and sociology major, thought I wanted to do the Peace Corps. But around sophomore year, sort of had that moment where I was like, all right, you know, my interests are changing a little bit. I know more information now. I know more things. I also was getting a little bit more clear with some of the stuff I was passionate about. One was sports. I didn't play football in high school. I actually played football when I was like eight, nine, 10, but I had a massive asthma attack. And after that, my mom like took me out of it and would not let me anywhere near a football field, but I ended up running like track in high school, school, soccer, but sports was something that always just genuinely got me excited. I love competition. I love everything about sports. So I switched my majors to sport administration midway through college. I also went on Google one evening and I literally Googled like sports and helping people. Like, I literally think I typed that in. And then I discovered community relations for NFL team, NBA team, for pro sports team. And I had no idea that that was a thing or that it existed. So once I found that out, sort of went down that rabbit hole and I was like, this is like the coolest job ever. Like, that's what I want to do. So I sort of reshifted my intentions and I said, all right, I want to work in community relations for a pro, a pro sports team. That was the goal that I set for myself. And throughout college, did some internships, changed my major to sport administration, like I mentioned earlier. And after I graduated, I got an internship with the Army All-American Bowl. So that's like a a premier um, football game or showcase for the nation's top football athletes coming out of high schools, going to big D1 universities. And that was about a six-month internship. And then after that, I was home for about two months, just applying, applying, applying to internships and jobs with sports teams and kept getting interviews and getting close to the final round, but just get, you know, got those rejections. And then I remember I was on Teamwork Online, which is like a big sports job posting platform. And uh, I saw the role for the Baltimore Ravens, and it was the internship in their corporate sales department, and I remember I looked at it. I said, "This is, this is out of my reach. Like, this is too lofty of a goal." So I literally closed my laptop, and I remember I just, you know, went about my day. And then like one or two days passed, and it was it, it was on it was on the back of my mind. I was like, I don't know, something just told me like I should shoot my shot, and I was like, all right, let me go back, make sure the position's still up. Did it filled the application, wrote the cover letter, and now again, I had no expectation. Maybe two weeks passed, and then I get a call from Baltimore number, you know, it's, or email from Baltimore number, or email from the Ravens, um, saying they want to do like a informational interview. So I do the phone interview, then zoom. And then they say, all right, like we want to bring you up or you, we want you to come up here for an in-person interview. Like you're in the final round. And I'm like, whoa, okay. So drive up to Baltimore uh, in the snow, car almost broke down, just came up here with a dream. And I can't. I remember driving to the facility. I got lost. My suit was literally, it looked like I jumped out of a pool or jumped into a pool and out of a pool because I was so nervous. And, you know, the, the castle is what they call it. I drove in and I was just so like intimidated and just in awe of like, oh my gosh, like I'm here at the Ravens. I did a pretty good job at the interview. I think I stayed at a friend's place for one day and then I was driving back to North Carolina and halfway, North Carolina is where I'm from, but halfway back, phone starts ringing. Kate, who you know, who's the one that hired me and my, my first boss with my first boss with the Ravens. She said, hey, crush your interview. How would you like to intern with us this season? Then she was like, take, take a day or two to think about it. I was like, nope, nope. I accept. I accept. Like I'm here. So that's how that's that's how I got to the team. And then two weeks later, at two weeks, to find a place in Baltimore went on Craigslist, just found the first place I could find wasn't. Yeah. So that's how I got to the Ravens. That's where I got my start at.
0: That's amazing. And there's sort of like two big things in your story that I think are really interesting. Um and so we'll kind of go piece by piece. But first is, you know, you sort of touched on this, but you went in knowing you wanted to like build a career helping people. And in your mind, you're like, Peace Corps. That's what i' that's a brand I've heard of that seems like what that career would look like. And I know a lot of people in our community sort of come into college very similarly, like, I know about Teach for America and Peace Corps and working for government. Like those are the things I know about. And what advice would you offer people who are trying to broaden their horizons and like understand what their options are and kind of, you know, expand, expand their viewpoint there?
1: That is a great point and a great question. I would say nowadays, right? I mean, obviously the internet, we have the internet doing a lot of just research in general, like on Google, using keywords, social impact, corporate social responsibility, philanthropy, Nonprofit, volunteering, community engagement, community impact. Looking at those keywords, right? There's there's so, there's a plethora of information out there now of like what roles look like in these when you use those keywords or in this field. So obviously leverage Google. Again, Google is how I found out about jobs at the Ravens, literally. But in addition to that, LinkedIn is another great resource to find people who are doing the things that you might be aspiring to do or have curiosity in learning about. So I'm a big fan of leveraging LinkedIn to, you know, do cold reach outs, little two, three sentence. Hi, I'm Keenan. I see you do community engagement for the Baltimore Ravens. I would love to, or, you know, just ask a question or something like that. And that that was something that I did and just did cold reach outs because if you send it out to hundred people, five, you know, you'll know, you get at least five to respond, right? It, but that that's where the value comes from. You know, it's not about the 95 nos; it's about the five yeses. You know, one yes can change your life and that's all you need. So that, that would be... That'd be my my uh, recommendation. Cast your net as wide as possible and be as proactive as you can with like seeking out information and websites and people that are already doing the thing you want to do or might know about the field that you want to enter,
0: yeah. One of the things that I myself do for my own like career and inspiration is if I like find someone cool on LinkedIn, I will do the thing where I scroll down, see where I'll save work, works before. I'll then click on that company look at who works at their former company and like start kind of connecting those dots of who is in this ecosystem and who has built interesting careers and you end up you know doing some pretty deep stalking but even if you don't ever talk to that person you learn about maybe organizations you didn't know existed or job titles you didn't know existed so there's something to just like old school research 100% and then this point of cold outreach right i love the way that you framed it where People get really fixated on like people who don't ever reply. They take that as as deep rejection and it feels uncomfortable to put yourself out there. But I love phrasing it as it's not about people who say no. The people who are really going to change your, your life are the people who say yes. So it's worth putting yourself out there for whoever comes back and says yes. I just want to like really doubt that out because I think that's such an important part of kind of career exploration in general. And then the other piece of your story that I so love and want to also underscore for people listening is the fact that you just shot your shot, right? Like you had that voice of doubt that was like, there's no way, like, there's just no way I will, I could work for the Baltimore Ravens. It's just not real. Right. And you, you didn't let that voice take over, right? You trusted your gut that there's like, I don't know, like, let me go for it. Let me see what happens. And obviously, so much in your life uh, changed and you you learned so much from just taking that opportunity because a number of people ask me, they're like, well, when is it not worth applying to the job? And I was like, there's no downside to applying to the job. What like nothing? What's going to happen? They're not going to take you. But how is that the worst case scenario? Right. Worst case scenario is that you don't try. Right. So I guess, how do you combat that voice that might be telling you, no, there's just no chance like this seems really out of reach for me?
1: Ooh, that is a, that's a great, that's another great question. Gosh. All right. So I'll I'll go, I'll go a little deep. So self-doubt, right. That, that voice in your head, right. You, you know, we, we all, whether it's imposter syndrome, whether it's feeling overconfident about something, whether it's not feeling prepared, whether it's feelings of feeling worthy or not worthy, or being able to like envision what the best version of your life could look like. Like it's something I think we all struggle with, whether we have examples of it. People we've seen do great things or not do great things. And, you know, we're all limited in a sense of like, to a degree of what we believe is possible with our own talents and within our own life and things that we're, we believe may or may not be, we may or may not believe we can manifest in our own lives, right? So it's, it's this sort of like big, broad, gray area framework that we're all coming, that we're all relating to differently. I think when it comes to talking yourself out of, actually there's, there's this phrase called, it, it says, I'm paraphrasing, but it's like, don't boo yourself off the stage before you even get on. And to me, that is that is that voice in your head that whether you know it, it might come from insecurity, it might come from self-esteem things to where you talk yourself out of something that could change your life or something that will radically improve your life. My first recommendation is to sort of sit with that own, with, with that feeling internally and sort of understand why you might feel that way or be relating to the world or situations in your life that way, whether it's therapy or just meditate, you know, just really just giving yourself space to just reflect on those feelings. So that, that's like my, my first deep reflection. And then the actual tactical parts that I think are helpful is if you have a vision, if you have a goal, an objective, a thing that you want to be true in X amount of time, That doesn't exist yet you have to commit to like doing the thing you know like if you want to work in sports industry or for a professional sports team you're going to have to do things you've never done before to improve your likelihood of getting selected for an opportunity like that you're going to have to make yourself uncomfortable you're going to have to lean into your strengths you have to lean into your weaknesses and put yourself in uncomfortable positions where you can make your weaknesses, where you can build on your weaknesses. But the thing is, that can be, that can at times feel so defeating. And so like, such like a a kick to the gut that a lot of times we just, we're just like, let's just not even do it because there's no way I can get something that good. So I think taking action is the most important thing. A lot of times you don't, you don't feel an emotion until you do the thing. You don't feel strong until you have to do something that makes you feel strong. So like the The action precedes the emotion in a sense. So apply to the job, even if you don't think you're qualified, even if you're like, I doubt this can happen. Once you submit your application, a little confidence boost. I did it. Like I did the thing. Now I feel like someone who who can apply to any job. You know what I mean? Like you have to to get in the reps and no matter what.
0: Yeah. No. And I think the two other things that I would throw in the mix there is one, sometimes, I mean... This is obviously I've been in therapy for a while because like these are the I'm using some of those tools. But like that internal voice, being able to separate that as like your inner critic and know that like, OK, yeah, there is a version of myself that has this negative thought. But that's not that's not who I am. I'm not that negative thought that I think about myself. And then sometimes just externalizing the hype. Right. So what I mean is like having people in your life who you're like, I don't know if I can do this thing and have that person who's like, you can do it, just hit apply, just do it, go for it, right? Having people who are really going to encourage you no matter what, I think is really powerful. And then I'm curious how what you think about this, right? Like, you and I are a couple of years into working now, we've been built things and done things that we're really proud of. I honestly, like, I don't have a lot of rejections that I still think back on or like non replies that haunt me. Like, I don't really have any of those. Like in the moment, it can feel like the biggest thing in the world to email someone and not get a reply. But I genuinely don't have those. I don't have many of those things that I'm thinking about anymore at all. I don't know about you, but I just don't think that those things have impacted me long-term.
1: Yeah. I I agree a hundred percent. I don't, I don't really think, yeah, I don't remember as many. I remember a couple rejections before I got to the Ravens, like with teams that I got to like the final round to, and it like, I remember I was interviewing with a MLB team and they told me it was between me and two other people. And I thought I crushed my interview. I remember they like emailed me like the day after and like, you didn't get it. And I remember I like, I look, you like cried in the bathroom. Cause I was, I, in my head, I was like, I, this is mine. Like I got this in the bag. That rejection hurt in a sense. Right. But what ended up happening is to me, like the best life scenario that's happened with Ravens what I'm doing now. So at the time it sucked, but like, that's the beautiful thing about the future is like, you don't know how. Great things can turn out because I didn't know now what I knew. I didn't know then what I know now, and the rejections are all part of it. And every rejection is to me is is a rep. That means you're doing something. Like if you're getting rejections, it's because you are taking action to apply to stuff. If, if people are saying, if people are responding to you, and whether it's good news or bad news, they're responding to you because again, you, you are reaching out. Like that is it's an indicator that you are doing something. The rejections in the moment they suck but they are mental and physical life reps to like help you improve on your craft to help you improve on small things in your next interview or they reject you because your resume looked like this take that feedback fix it like you are building to the next thing that that is what it is rejection is not a, a end all be all it is a temporary feeling moment extract from it what you can apply it to improve in the next phase and you have a process like that, like you're gonna win. Like it's a proven formula. That's that's my thoughts on on rejection there.
0: No, I mean that was like the hype speech that I needed today is that it's like, yeah, I'm I'm getting rejections, but at least that means I'm doing the work. Right. And I I love I love that. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be holding on to that one and remembering it on Monday when I'm inevitably going to feel like damn it. I'll be like, no, I'm putting my reps in. It's all good. I'm putting my reps in. Yeah. All right. Well, kind of moving past sort of that phase of your career, let's kind of take it all the way back to something you shared, which is that you knew that you wanted to work in social impact. It sounds like working in community was something that you always knew was going to be a driving force of your career. Can you share a little bit more about how and why that came to be for you?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So for me, you know, growing up, so I grew up in North Carolina, my parents split when I was pretty pretty young, so like I was you know used to them just being in different locations and stuff like that. And you know, like a lot of people, right? You know, you face different levels of adversity, different hardships, financial, um, more so that I think shift your perspective and shape you as a young person. Stuff that I guess at the time, right, that I thought was normal. That you know, I would then being other communities or other predicaments and be like oh okay so they you know they're not having the struggle you know certain struggles you know i i think from an early age that shaped and sort of molded me um just because definitely experienced like some financial insecurities growing up you know uh at home and it made me at an early age think primed my mind to be thinking about how close we were to sort of falling through those social safety nets you know even when we did get support from nonprofit organizations or from state government, social programs, things like that, that were critical for us as a family, right? Without these things, I don't, I wouldn't be who I am or where I am today. Like those are critical resources, you know, from a social impact standpoint to help improve the overall outcomes for a community. But you know, we relied on those services growing up and it was always in my mind, like we're so close to being in a worse predicament. And it always just made me think about like, I feel decently lucky. What about that family that they they hit bad luck or like they, they did end up losing their home or they did get evicted and they don't have say a social safety net or they don't know where to go to get these things. You know, they're on the street, they're, they're in a bad situation. So my mind was always thinking about like other people not, living well. That, that's just sort of how I conceptualize it. So from an early age, which is sort of odd, just thinking about it as like a, a young, like a kid, I was always like, you know, they're homeless. Like, where's their family? What, how did they get there? Like, what can we do to help them? How can we prevent this? Like, that's where my mind was always at. So I was always like thinking outwardly as a child. And I think I'm a relatively, like, I I, I genuinely care about the wellness and well-being of, of other humans and humanity. And I, I think about how, like in this country, we have the, We have the dollars, we have the resources and the technology and knowledge to like fix all the inequalities that exist, to improve health outcomes, to just make society better, improve humankind. But we're so far from it because a whole different other reasons, like as far as capitalism and economics and things like that. But it doesn't have to be that way, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. So yeah, so as a youth, I knew like I want to spend my working time as an adult, doing something that will improve the lives of others and hopefully the lives of future generations and future people.
0: That's awesome. I appreciate you sharing that. Something that, you know, struck me in talking to you now a few times is not that there's ever a formula for success. Like I'm never going to say there's a formula for success, but I think you clearly have sort of a blend of staying really rooted in your values, like the things that you know are most important to you, working hard and creating opportunity for yourself, even if you can't see how it's really going to manifest in the future. And just like putting in the reps, right? Like we're going to be obviously using a lot of sports metaphors in today's conversation. But I'm curious how you have tactically approached that. So I'm thinking about network, you've talked about networking, you've talked about um, sort of just applying for things. You also proactively like got a master's in philanthropy at Indiana online while still working. So why did you decide to get that degree and how do you think that it really helped you moving forward?
1: Another great question. So many great questions. So there there's another paraphrase out there or that I'm another quote out there that I'm gonna paraphrase. It's called hustle while you wait, meaning if I am currently so actually for the right like at the Ravens, like if I started in corporate sales, I was there because A it was a great opportunity. It was a foot in the door into a phenomenal organization. I also knew I was going to be getting incredible professional development and adding skills, adding skills to my repertoire, which I knew over time is something I could translate to community relations when and if I ever got to that opportunity. So I'm always thinking, you know, I always try to think in my mind, three, five, 10 year spans. Like that's how my mind works. Um and you want to make Decisions for your future self now, and that that's that's what I have always focused on. With that, I think being proactive is a is a skill set. Being in corporate sales, right? I'm getting this professional develop, development, the things I mentioned earlier. But just because I'm getting that, that doesn't mean I can't go ahead and start preparing for that next opportunity that that doesn't exist yet. But like I know it's something that I want to do. So again, go go on Google, and I'm like everyone, all right, let me find some people on LinkedIn that are doing the things that I want to be doing a few years from now. Let me look at their resume. Did they get their master's? Did they do a certificate program? Just basically like almost mimicking what, what they've done. Extract that, figure out like, okay, so they got a master's and they're a VP accumulation. Okay. So maybe, you know, a secondary degree might be good for me to look at. Let me go scan, see what degrees are out there, see what programs would make most sense. Is it public policy? Is it, a law degree, which is something I I was debating between that and and the program I chose at Indiana. Is it philanthropy, right? All right, let me see who else has this degree and see what they're doing in their careers. You know, So it's just like that, trying to find that metric of like, if I get this, this will improve. I I can't guarantee it will improve my likelihood of future success. So that's why I applied for the master's program at Indiana. And I decided that no matter what, this would be a value add to my career prospects. And just just being better at what I do, it would add to that for Keenan 10 years down the road. I've had immediate benefits from it from graduating, but like again, I'm thinking of when I did that, I was thinking about myself five, 10 years down the road and how it could add value to my prospects.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's it's the LinkedIn stalking thing, right? Like it it actually the old-fashioned research makes such a big difference. And honestly, a lot of why I started this podcast is so that people have a fewer steps to getting that information right now, just listening to you say. For me and what I what I wanted to do, getting a master's makes a really big difference. If you want to do this, highly recommend thinking about a master's, right? So I think that's so much of this is an information gap, which is why I'm I'm really grateful that you're sharing such specific examples of how you've sort of approached it uh, in your own career. Cause I think it's helpful for others who might want to mimic you in the future and are LinkedIn stalking you right now.
1: Can I add one more, one more thing to that? And and also, too, just from just from a different perspective as well. So like for me. The master's program made sense. Is it was also just something I wanted to like. I wanted to get my master's degree in general. So like for me that made sense. There might be someone who has similar career prospects, but they're like, I don't either school's too expensive, or I just you know I, I don't want to go back to school, or I have a family I can't balance that time right now. So for folks who are in that predicament, right, there's also other small things that. I add it into my my repertoire or like my framework on how I approach future success. So like again just I just keep going back to the Ravens example. I was in corporate sales, right? I said, "All right, what else can I be doing? Like what are the small things I can be doing into my like daily, weekly, monthly routine that will build my skill set, maybe more knowledgeable about social impact, sports philanthropy, right? So what I did, so my formula, right? I said, "All right, every 2 weeks, every 2 weeks I will like reach out to 3 to 5 people working in CSR or like, you know, the field that I want to work in, like just cold outreach, you know, nothing huge, just same, same template. Just, I find three to five people, right. Every two weeks. The next thing is every Friday I have the Google alerts to to send me articles about what's going on about sports philanthropy, social impact. So I said, okay, every week I'm going to read three articles about this thing. Right. And then the third thing I did was did one other thing, but like there were small things that I just added into my weekly routine that again, couldn't guarantee that it was going to prepare me or couldn't guarantee that it was going to land me like in a specific spot. But I knew that when and if the opportunity presented itself as a result of this routine, I would be able to talk about what's going on in that ecosystem. I would be able to say, oh, I have networked with so-and-so from this team. They gave me some really good advice. Like I would be ready before yeah, you don't wait for a game to get ready like you you practice all the way up leading up to. So that like those are the small things you can add into your daily life to help build your capacity for future success. So I just wanted to add that in there as well.
0: No, I think that's a really really important point, right? Like for me, I was never a natural student, right? So I I've, I've thought about going back for my masters, but honestly, it kind of intimidates me because I know I'm not great in a classroom, but I'm really good at reaching out and just talking to people and learning from them, right? So building in those disciplines, right, I think makes a big difference. And I think especially for what you were doing, you know, something you shared is how obviously competitive the field that you were in, particularly when you were working for the Ravens, how small of an industry that is, how tightly knit it is, and no one ever leaves those jobs. So those jobs don't open up very frequently. So when you're trying to break into a space that is like that, that is really competitive and and closely knit, those networking plays, again, I'm now I'm just falling into sports metaphors as someone who is not sports literate. So I'm going to use some of these words wrong. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I'm doing my best. I'm from Texas. I should know better. And I just, I just don't. But like those steps of building your network in those industries, right? So people ask me about things like impact investing and and stuff like that, even philanthropy, these are really tough markets sometimes to break into. But if you know people and you can name drop people or you can get insider tips from people, or even just find out about opportunities you didn't even know existed through conversations, it makes a big difference. And I also find that for people who are combating imposter syndrome, right? Like you're going into an interview and you're like, oh gosh, I don't feel like I'm there at the level that they might want. If you've had a lot of conversations with people in that industry, what you'll find is that you have a lot more knowledge than you thought you did. You'll have terminology sitting there you didn't realize you had. You'll have opinions on things you might not have had opinions about earlier. I think all of that also just for your own confidence makes a really, really big difference. So I a thousand percent agree with everything that you just said. I think it's a really powerful way to, continue to not just level yourself up but make yourself feel more and more confident as you're as you're in the game. Okay, so you eventually did leave the Ravens, of course. You went on to work as a consultant for the state of North Carolina on public health and COVID response. And I'm curious what it was like making what I imagine was like a significant vibe shift, right? From working for the NFL to working for uh, COVID response for state government. And I asked that question because I know a lot of people that I work with and a lot of people who listen to this put pressure on themselves to know exactly what kind of path they want to take, right? And this didn't seem like, you know, quote, unquote, the natural next step. But it was the step that you took. And it was part of the larger narrative of how you've gone about your career. So I'd love to hear sort of what role that next step played? What made you eventually leave the Ravens and sort of what you learned doing something so different afterwards?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that experience, you know, leaving the Ravens, I was there for six, six, years, six seasons. And it was, it was a very, very difficult decision to decide to, to leave. You know, I it's on paper, you know, there was, there was no reason. To to leave, I was crushing it. My team was amazing. You know, we were like a family, great organization, great franchise. But towards, you know, towards the end of my tenure with the Ravens, I always check in with myself, you know, around New Year's times to reevaluate how I feel, what my long-term goals are, how I'm tracking progress against those. And um, it was also my first year of doing my master's program at Indiana. So all during that time, I'm getting exposed to new information in school, new concepts, new frameworks to approach social impact and, and community engagement and things like that. And, you know, I started having those inner curiosities of what is the best use of my talents, my my passions to make the the most meaningful and, and broadest impact that I can make as a practitioner in this field. And in my head, I was like, all right, you know, think about Keenan five, 10 years from now, I knew that I had to make a decision to like, go to that next chapter, that next thing to ensure that I was growing and developing in the ways that I envisioned for myself. So yeah, made a very difficult decision to to leave the Ravens. I uh, came across a position like doing the consulting with State of North Carolina um, at the consulting firm I was at. And what attracted me to it was, and, and I'm a big, big I always tell people this, there's different factors, but if if you can chase the skill, chase skills. You want professional and skill development. That is what makes you a rock star professional impact person. Human, So I always focus on on that, like the skill sets that I can gain. And when I was reading the job description, you know, I, I was like, all right, I'm going to improve communication skills, like um, how to do campaigns. You know, I'm getting some exposure to public health, um, some grassroots community engagement strategies. Also, this is something that is like the biggest public health Event to happen in the last 100 years in the U.S. You know, so I knew that I'd be going into a role where I was going to be challenged, where I was going to be incredibly uncomfortable because it was going to be a learning curve. But although that discomfort sucked, I knew at the end of the day, I was be I was going to be getting better and getting skills poured into me or getting professional skill development there. So did the consulting. Um, born and raised in North Carolina, so it was really fulfilling to be able to like you know whether through communications and community engagement, how we can literally save lives by getting people to get vaccinated, to get more educated about the pandemic and and how to have just better health come, ugh, how to have better health outcomes, right? And sort of address all the health disparities throughout North Carolina that we saw during the COVID-19 pandemic. So it was an incredible experience there. Learned a lot, gained a lot of information, had incredible team.
0: No, that's great. And then one day you are, again, scrolling online and, and doing your thing and you see the Octa logo you know, again, you shot your shot. And again, very different from what you were doing in your consulting work. And at the Ravens, you're working in the tech space right now. And so a couple of questions sort of surrounding that, I would say, you know, a question that comes up, again, a lot for my uh, students or my young people who are entering the job market for the first time. um, And they're seeing a lot of tech layoffs, and they're seeing that things are a little chaotic. I'm curious sort of what your perspective has been like working in tech and social change right now in this environment so any perspective there would be super helpful to to start
1: well i'll say this i've been in tech now for a year and what three or four months i love it that so that, that that's my that's my um that's my first my first response there in general right the economy macro micro us global is is a little bit crazy right now for a number of reasons and as you said you know, we've seen the tech industry impacted heavily and lots of layoffs and things like that. So you know, I understand that is a true reality. I've been lucky and fortunate enough to not have been impacted by that at this moment. Again, can't predict the future. That is something that as a professional, you'll always be navigating in a sense because the economy ebbs and flows and different business models function differently through different predicaments. And on the impact space, on, on the impact side of technology, I could probably go on and on and on about it. But I think the coolest thing about technology about or about the tech sector in general is that technology is, is ubiquitous, right? Like if you want to be connected, if you want to get access to benefits from nonprofits or the government, if you want to do banking, if you want to go to school, if you want to be educated, if you want to do anything, basically you're, you're using, you know, a phone or the computer or technology in some degree. So it's everywhere and because it's everywhere, there's even more opportunity <clears throat> to sort of get into the the hearts and minds of people in a sense. And there's a lot of things within the tech industry or within the tech space where impact can be made, right? There's a digital divide. So there's still a ton of people who don't have basic literacy skills when it comes to using the computer. As a result, right, they're disenfranchised from participating in mainstream society, from the benefits of mainstream society, being connected to vital resources. Um, There's also a big workforce gap. I forget the exact number, but by like 2050, you know, we're projected to have thousands of hundreds of thousands of more like jobs in the tech space. So if we don't have we're not training the next generation of young people, um, especially for me, like it's important to me, like BIPOC, historically underrepresented talent, you know, young people that look like me to get into these roles, right? If we're not training them or getting them ready for like these new jobs of the future, right, that's going to cause another generation of like, you know, perpetuating like systemic cycles and things like that. So for me, I have the opportunity to sort of help with our workforce development work at Okta in exposing, supporting nonprofits that are doing this work and helping to expose other groups to jobs in tech. I don't think it's, I mean, obviously a lot of this information is public. I don't think it's a secret, but, you know, I think the tech industry on average, I think they definitely pay a, a livable wage in a sense. And, you know, I think about, you know, friends, family back home that, you know, a role at a tech company, whether it's cybersecurity or you know, whatever the role may be, like that is something that could change the trajectory of your family's life, like socioeconomically speaking, you know, so there's just literal pathways to improve people's lives, whether it's through just learning about tech, working in it, and all the other things that that we do in the tech industry.
0: Yeah, I mean, something that I think about a lot and people ask me about frequently is wealth creation, right? And you sort of use the C word earlier, capitalism, right? Like the, there was the reality of the system that we live in. There are so many people who have been shut out of creating generational wealth, right? And to your point, if we can give people access to opportunities that pay, not just fairly, but well, and allow them to grow and for their families to thrive and, you know, break out of those, at least the economic cycles um, that have been going on for so many generations, that's huge. And so people ask me like, does that count? Is that social impact? Is that I was like, I mean, that does a lot of good for a lot of people in a lot of communities. So yeah, a hundred percent. I think that's a really important layer when we talk about the social sector and doing social good and social impact careers. Is that's a shade that's it's a it's a little messier, right? Like talking about wealth creation, there's a lot of there's a lot that comes a, that surrounds that idea, but I think it is a really important one to to invest in as well, right? Particularly for those, like you said, who historically have not had access to that. Information, those opportunities. so it's it's really interesting. I think it, I think it's a big part of how we address these systemic challenges for sure. Something that people ask me about a lot is, how do I know that I'm joining an institution that isn't doing harm or that it's like they're doing it the right way and like I want to make sure it's the perfect place to work in social impact? And what I tell them is there's no such thing as a perfect nonprofit, perfect company, perfect anything. Like everybody has blind spots. Everybody has things that they need to grapple with. And so going in with your eyes wide open is really important. And so something I wanted to get your thoughts on are sort of what it was like working in community representing the NFL, which, you know, as we know, has had a really complicated role in the last couple of years in particular around social justice movements. So curious if you have any advice or insight on how you thought through that and those dynamics.
1: So I would say... By by default, you know, depending how how deep you want to get, you know, by default, right? If you are listening to this podcast, or if if you're based in the U.S. and you work for a for-profit business, odds are, right, as a result, through capitalism, right, there was some level of exploitation happen to either get a product for really cheap, market up, and resell it, market and market it in a in a strategic way, and get people to buy it at much at a much higher rate right. Whether it's through products, people, you know, that, that is unfortunately, you know, how, how capitalism works. And I think sometimes it, it might be intentional. It might not be, it might, I might be working at a company because I'm like, Hey, I have uh, you know, I got two kids to feed and, you know, I I got to make a paycheck. Like I, I don't really have an option. And I'm also not thinking about, you know, what are the, like the broader socioeconomic, socioeconomic implications of this company, you know, it, it just depends like the education gap and what, you know what's most important to you and what's going to affect you immediately so i think a lot of decisions to work at companies are sort of based on that on the nfl front a bit complicated a bit complicated in the sense that like you know outwardly we see how how great the nfl is as a sports league and entertainment platform and it's something that that brings families together it, it helps guide values things like that like there's a lot of great things that come from sports leagues from football from sunday entertainment um, but also what we saw like throughout 2019, 2020, whether it's kneeling or it's social justice things that came to light in 2020, there's no there's no one perfect answer. I can say that I think the league has done a very public and, and good job of making progress in how they think about and support social justice and how to make progress in the realm of social justice in the US, like in a productive way, whether it's through supporting nonprofits doing the work, whether it's giving players the autonomy to advocate, to lobby, to display their support for certain costs, like during a game, before a game, after a game. I think there's been tremendous progress in that regard. Is it perfect? No, because nothing is. But I will say you can, if you're already in an institution that may or may not be contributing to social harm, just depending on how you define it, you will likely be able to make more meaningful change from the inside than being from the outside that's my perspective. You'll be able to influence and talk to the people who are actually making the biggest decisions. And you can actually be an advocate to, to make that shift. A lot of times we think that you just turn on a switch and it's like, we changed the whole system. I would love that. But when you think about a huge institution that that employs people, that has economic impacts, that has community impacts, that has political impacts, like you have to do it strategically and Slowly, in a sense, and you gotta think about it in that that long term view. So that that would that would be my response to to that.
0: No, and I mean, uh, what I'll say is, obviously, you can't single handedly change the NFL. Nobody can. But what comes to mind for me is like you being in community, representing that team in that community, the way that you do matters, and like you, that's what you have control over, and like the way that you just have shown up in this conversation, the way that I know you show up for the people in your life. I have like full faith you did an incredible job. And I think that that matters too, right? To your point, there's not one switch where every level is going to switch, but the level that you were at and what you could control, it sounds like you were really thoughtful and intentional with how you did that work. And I think that's important for people to keep in mind as well
1: right and and just one, one last thing to to add to that yeah you echoed that that perfectly and and i would say like for for a young person i mean i guess i guess I call myself a young person i don't know i'm getting older you know we, we, you might graduate high school graduate college graduate a program and you have some incredible ideas about how the world should be and you might get to your first opportunity nonprofit, profit for profit and you feel like you get stopped dead in your tracks and that you're not making an impact change unfortunately it can be slow and in some aspects sometimes it could be fast but for anyone who's eager to like create that immediate change i would say still keep like still keep that still keep that same energy but challenge yourself to think expansively because a lot of times it's easy to get pigeonholed into like this is the thing that i that needs to change and i'm i'm gunned in for it you got to think broadly speaking about how institutions function historically currently and think about, like you said, your immediate sphere of influence and what you can change at your level. And then you got to keep educating yourself on like how to persuade, how to influence, how to educate other people to build those allies over time, and then sort of do more of a broader systemic change. It takes longer. It's a little bit more tactful. It's like checkers and chess, right? But I would just, I would just give that two cents of advice for anyone who's you know, eager to to make immediate change in the in the world.
0: Awesome. Well, as we kind of come to the end of the conversation, I'd love to just sort of open it up. If there's something we haven't talked about or any final pieces of advice for people listening, I'd love to give you a chance to share anything else that's on your mind.
1: So we've covered some incredible stuff and I've enjoyed this conversation tremendously. I think as far as Advice for anyone who is listening to this conversation and tuning in that is wanting to enter the social impact space, make sure that you take a, a helicopter view of your life, of the decisions you're making, You know, zoom out, look at things big picture, three, five, 10 year, 20 year time span, and make your decisions with that framework in mind. A rejection is not forever, it's temporary, it's an indicator that you're doing things to get you close to your goal. It's also an opportunity for you to learn, reflect and refine your process and the things that you're doing. In addition to that, stay focused on the big picture, be proactive, keep looking for new information and in new places. Listen to this podcast, listen to previous episodes of this podcast. Also, when when you can, be a resource to others. If you got some three three great nuggets of information from this podcast interview, share it with your friend who is also trying to do the same thing as you because, you know, You want to do this together. There is, we have been told that there is not enough wins for people to go around and we have to compete and we have to scrap and we have to claw against each other to get to these resources. It's actually the opposite. There's plenty of resources out there. We actually can go even further together if we share the knowledge, share the resources together, and then we can lift up as one. So um, yeah, don't, don't hoard, don't hoard the gold, share it. That, that, those, those are my, my main tips. Last one, whoever's listening to this. Is going to work out. You are more than capable, qualified, and ready to do what it is that you want to do. And you're going to make an impact in this world. And uh, I am excited to see what you do.
0: Honestly, again, that was the hype speech I needed today. Kenan, thank you so much. I really appreciate everything you brought to this conversation and look forward to also seeing everything you continue to do for your communities as well.
1: Thank you. I enjoyed it so much. I appreciate uh, the opportunity.
0: The Careers They Didn't Tell You About podcast is brought to you by Second Day, an organization fighting to make social impact careers more accessible to all by dismantling inequitable talent pipelines into mission-driven industries. To learn more, go to secondday.org. I'd like to thank my producer, Mai Vo, for her incredible work in making this episode possible. Music used in this podcast is titled Blessed Time by Ketza. It can be found on the free music archive under the Creative Commons license. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoyed it, please be sure to rate, review, subscribe. It makes a really, really big difference to our community.